And I look out and I see almost all of our families with little ones who are traveling on vacation uh, today, so may the Lord watch over them and maybe one or two that have children's church. You guys are dismissed now. Uh, if you've been uh, joining us at First Friends on a regular basis, you know that we've been um, just soaking up the book of James over a number of weeks and months. I was really proud Arla actually counted 19 weeks of sermons. I didn't even have that recorded anywhere of how many, so points with the pastor uh, for Arla for keeping record of that, and I know that um, I trust it's been a blessing to you. We're um, just kind of taking a sideline this morning for a week before we start a new series, uh, so I encourage you to come next Sunday ready for that. It's a real joy for me as a pastor to have time to read, read theologian, read pastors, missionaries, um, just whatever I can get my hands on. It's a great joy of mine. And over the last couple of weeks, I just keep turning to this sermon I remember hearing about in seminary, written by the father of pastors, Charles Spurgeon. And the message is titled, The Gracious Lips of Jesus. And I just, I'm not going to read his sermon. Don't worry about that. Um, I think it was 14 pages when I typed, when I typed it out, just because I was curious. A small, fine print at least 10 points to his sermon, and I'm going to do four of those 10. So I, I, I am borrowing his uh, general ideas. I think that it is, it is so, it was such a blessing to me to read it over and over again, to soak up those words, to, to, to dwell on this thought that we read about in Psalm chapter 45. So if you have a Bible in front of you or you uh, read the scriptures on the smart device, I call mine my dumb device, but whatever you call your phone um, or however you read the scriptures, I'd encourage you to turn to Psalm 45. It also is on the screen. Now, this is, this is a wedding song. In ancient times, this would be something that they would sing at a wedding as a cause of celebration, as a cause of joy, as a cause of lifting each other up and, and stirring each other's hearts. And that was the context of when this was originally written was for a wedding. And as the church began to worship and minister together, a lot of these songs were brought into, in essence, the sanctuary. And so this became a song that the church would sing as the bride of Christ about their Messiah. And so we read these words about Jesus, and then we're going to share a few ideas together this morning. Psalm chapter 45, verses 1 and 2. My heart burst its banks, spilling beauty and goodness. I poured out in a poem to the king, shaping the river into words. You're the handsomest of men. Every word from your lips is sheer grace, and God has blessed you, blessed you so much. And that phrase in there, every word from your lips is sheer grace, is where Spurgeon focused on during his titled, The Gracious Lips of Jesus. In these were his opening words in that message. I'm going to read these for you this morning. He said, I noticed that Calvin translated this passage, grace is shed from your lips. Not only did God give to his son grace on his lips, but the son, whenever he speaks, whether he addresses the people in doctrine or exhortation, or whether he pleads with his father on their behalf, whenever his lips are open to speak to God for men or from God to men, he always has grace shed from his lips. Thus, this idea of whenever Jesus speaks, grace is departed to you and I. And certainly that was the way that Jesus spoke. So he continued, and when I turn to the Old Testament translation of this passage, I find that it has the idea 
of the very exhaustion of grace. Grace is poured from your lips as though emptied out until there is none left. Jesus Christ has grace exhausted in his person, for in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All grace was given to him, the very exhaustion of the inexhaustible store, as much to say that God could give no more, and that Jesus Christ himself could not receive or possess any more grace than he already had. It was all poured out in his person, and when he speaks, it's to exhaust grace itself. Imagination's utmost stretch cannot conceive of anything more gracious, and the contemplation of the most devoted Christian cannot think of any words more majestic in goodness, more tender in sympathy, or more full of honey, and more luscious in their sweetness than the gracious words that proceeded out of the lips of Jesus. And there is in the precious word and name of Christ so much grace that we could have done many more points than Spurgeon's 10. But I'm not as gracious a preacher as him, and I don't know that you're as gracious a congregation as his to go any more than 10. But we're going to look at four thoughts about Jesus and his grace this morning and how it was heard, how it's received, and how we can take it. And there are many more that we could share together. But one of those is that Jesus, in his grace, in his speech, from his lips, was the most eloquent of preachers. You'll see that on the screen. He was the most eloquent of preachers. Can you imagine hearing Jesus preach? I just wish just for an hour, just for a message, just for a moment, that I could have lingered on the side of the mount, lingered along the side of the road, lingered in any kind of conversation that Jesus had to have heard his voice, to have heard the way that he spoke and the the way the crowd received him. And it was interesting to read Spurgeon's comments about how Jesus' words were, were pure as honey and, and smooth as silk and, and just cut between the lines of the walls of our life. And yet, I think of how he would go out to the Pharisees and call them a brood of vipers. And how his speech incited the crowd so much that instead of falling down at his feet, they wanted to crucify him. And there was something about when the Son of God spoke that everyone stood to attention and had some kind of response. I wonder when it was the last time a pastor spoke and everyone in the congregation had some kind of response. Real response, active response, living response where they didn't just sit there and say, okay, is they did something about the words that were said. They made choices in their life for good based upon the words of Jesus. These are Spurgeon's words about this thought. He said, I think if the wild winds could have heard Jesus speak, they would have ceased their blusterings. If the waves could have listened to him, they would have hushed their tumult, though the rough ocean would have been smooth. If the stars could have heard him, they would have stopped their hurried march. If the sun and moon had heard him whose voice is more potent than any other man, they would have stood still. If creation could have heard him, it would have stopped his ceaseless motions, and the wheels of the universe would have stood still so that all ears might listen, that all hearts might beat, and that all eyes might glisten so that the souls might be elevated while Jesus Christ had spoken. And when Jesus speaks literally, the world should stop. The world should stop. Now, I can remember as a young believer, um, uh, my dad 
prayed with me and my dad read the scriptures from time to time. And we would go to church somewhat frequently every other week or maybe once a month. And, and I would hear the words of Jesus, but it just kind of bounced off. I was too busy. I was too proud. I didn't need him. Uh, Christianity was, was uh, you know, for the, for the weak or for the boring. And, and, but one day, all of a sudden, for Peter, everything stood still. And the word rang true, and the word rang loud, and there was something about the words of Jesus that, was, that, that, that shouted louder than any of the noise in my life, that spoke quieter than any silence I'd ever had, and touched my heart and my life in a way that no one or no thing had ever spoken before, and I knew that it was God's voice that had spoken. And Spurgeon was saying to his congregation that morning when he preached this sermon, There's something about it when Jesus speaks to you where everything changes in that moment. When was the last time that you had heard Jesus' voice? I saw a meme on Facebook the other day, and it said something. A meme is basically a picture with words, if you don't know what that is. And it basically said, oh, I wish I could get a sign from God. And then there's a picture of God handing down the Bible like, hello, it's right here. I remember a dear friend of mine shortly after I was saved, he'd been called to the ministry long before I became a Christian. And he was like, if God would just work a miracle for me, I would give my heart back to him and I would fulfill my call. And I was like, you ever heard of the cross and the resurrection? There's miracles everywhere if you look for them. The word of God has already spoken to you if you're willing to listen. And there's something about Jesus when he speaks that we cannot run from it. We cannot hide from it. We can't drown his voice out. Jonah tried to run, didn't he? How did that work out for that poor guy? God follows us everywhere. And can we all probably agree this morning, don't you wish you would have listened to his voice a little bit sooner? Maybe the months or the years or the weeks that we kind of pined away fighting and when we finally were brought to that place where we heard his voice that was like no other. I'll never forget that Easter morning when I heard him speak to me and say, in a way I'd never heard before, Peter, I love you so much that I died for you, but I'm not hidden away somewhere. I'm right here for you. And nothing has been the same since that moment when the most eloquent of preachers speaks. Everything changes. Another idea that he shared in that morning's message was that Jesus and his graciousness was a faithful promiser Aren't you grateful for the promises of God? I I love that song, Standing on the Promises of God, My Savior. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King. There is something about that song where all of my doubts and all of my fears fade away when I'm reminded of the fact that if God has spoken, that's it. There's nothing else I need to know. There's nothing else I need to hear. There's nothing else I need to figure out because if God's word has spoken it, that's it. There's nothing else I need to know. I just need to cling to the promises that God has for us. I want to share a few of the promises of God that Spurgeon shared that morning. He said this passage, and you've heard these verses many times, God's words, remember, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they should not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither shall the flame be kindled upon you. Anyone feel like they're in the middle of the waters this morning? 
I heard it sounded like this one day. It was, it was like somebody got held under the baptismal water too long and starts gurgling for air because the pastor's having a really good time scaring the bejeebers out of this person to make sure they don't come out of that water and sin any longer. I'm grateful that's not the way my pastor baptized me. But there's something about in our life when it just feels like we're being held under for under so long that we're gasping for air, we're gasping for strength. We feel like the pressures of this world and this life are just holding us down. And the Bible says through Jesus, God's promise to us, when that happens, I'm going to be with you and it will not be too much for you because, because of your strength, because of how good of a swimmer you are, because of how long you can hold your breath. None of those things. I remember when I was nine years old, I would go up to my grandpa's house in West Salem on the mountains. You could just see for miles in every direction. And I was determined I was going to be, I was going to set the world record for holding my breath the longest. Um, probably should have, someone should have told me that doing that on a hot tub was a really bad idea. Um, if you want to look at the health dangers of that, just Google it and you'll see. But, but I'm here to tell my story. And and I was convinced that if I could just practice long enough, I could, I could go anywhere and hold my breath for as long as I needed to to survive. And can I tell you, in, 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 the, in the experience of life, there's just so long you can hold your breath. And then you have to take, you know, and in that moment of desperation, when air is the only thing you can think of to survive, is when God comes to us and says, I am the breath of life for you. And it is not in your strength, but in mine, that I will see you through. How about these words from the scriptures? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And what did Jesus say? I will give you rest. I think we live in a world that is busier than it's ever been, more exhausted than it's ever been, and less satisfied than it's ever been. We literally are like, my dog used to do, it would come in from the outside and it'd get the bottom of its tail wet and it literally would spin itself in circles faster and faster and faster and faster and faster just trying to catch its tail and it never happened but it spent so much of its time just running around in circles and it literally would fall over from dizziness because it just couldn't go any longer and it feels like in our world today that is life for us. Something happens and we just spend so much of our time chasing our tails, not even really knowing why we're doing it. It's just, it's just the vortex of the way we live our life. And Jesus says, you know, just have comes to us like I would come to my dog, Sadie, and I'd just put my hand on her back and say, it's okay. It's all right. And she'd look up at me like, thank goodness. <laughs> and then it was like nothing happened and she would go on her way. Do you feel like you're chasing your tail? just running that rat race of life, and Jesus says, just come to me, and I will give you rest. And the first one, we hear the eloquent words of Jesus, he comes and he speaks to us. And aren't you grateful for the grace of God that comes to us with shed or brought in our hearts that we might have faith in him? But then there's a part of our, of our experience with Jesus where we come to him where we have heard his voice or we realize that we're just running in circles and not getting anywhere fast except a headache. And we come to him and say, Lord, I can't do this anymore. Lord, I can't carry this burden anymore. Lord, this is too much for me. I'm gonna give this to you. I love my kids dearly and, 
And each of them is very different. Levi's at an age, my youngest, where he just, he has his lunchbox separate from his backpack. He's got his water bottle, one binder, and maybe a snack in his backpack. So it weighs like maybe four or five pounds. Um, Hannah kind of every day is different. She'll have her laptop in there and a book or two and and uh, and some days maybe more, some days less. One day she forgot her backpack and I had to go get it for her. But my middle child, Samuel, that thing is like his life is in there. Anything possible you would need for school, every book, every pencil, a computer, and 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 I don't know how he carries that thing around every day. And he he puts it on in the morning and it's just, it hurts for me to even... Watch him carry that thing. But there's something at the end of the day when he gets out of the van, he walks in the door. Do you know the first thing he does? He throws that backpack down. I'm so glad I'm done carrying that thing for the rest of the day. It's just like there's peace now. There's just freedom because he doesn't have to carry that weight any longer. And you know, sometimes we pack too much in our backpack. Sometimes we just carry more than God has designed us to carry. And we, we, it's, it's, like, it's like our cross. And we have to add more and more weight and, you know, tap a few more nails into us just to make sure that everyone else around us knows how spiritual we are. And then we just get to the end of the day and we, and, and we don't let go. And I just love that thought in my mind of having a time in our life when, when we come to Jesus. Just like coming home at the end of a school day. And just releasing that burden and, and letting that go. And we don't take it up again until the next morning. And I love that idea of Jesus saying, just come to me and I'll give you all the rest that you need. <clears throat> Along those lines, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's always been a really hard verse for me. I'll just, I'll just say it. There's something about that verse because I didn't grow up in a farming generation. It is, it's tough for me to think of taking a yoke. When I think of a yoke, I think of scrambled eggs. <laughs> and that's where my mind goes when we think of that, uh, not out on the farm. Um, especially after I went to Winco and bought six dozen eggs the other day. It's all I can think about because um, the boys are eating eggs like crazy. But there is something about... All of us having a burden that we carry. We need to find rest, but there, there is, for most of mankind, a thorn in our flesh, a thing that we carry. It could be a health concern that may never go away unless God heals us. It may be the passion we feel for another. It may be the concern that we have for a loved one. It may be something that we pray about for those who are lost. It may be all kinds of things. And I'd always read this verse kind of like in the context of the last one, you know, you know, we have my yoke and my burden, and so I come in and I lay all those things at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, he didn't say that. He said, your yoke, bring it and learn from me. Did Jesus run from the cross? He got on his knees and sweat drops of blood that there might be another way. He was agonized of the yoke that God had called him to carry, but he was willing to carry it to the very end, to the very last moment of his life. The burdens that God had given him for the lost, for the broken, for the wounded, 
for the hurting were something that were ever present in his life. And I wonder how we might this morning learn from Jesus' example as we carry those yokes upon our life and in our heart. And so he says, to learn from me, for I am meek and I am lowly in heart. And in that learning, you will find rest for your soul. I've visited with people down through the years in churches who have a loved one they've prayed for, and, and it is so agonizing for them that they just can't, they can't focus on anything else. They can't be happy until this person has made a decision for Jesus, and it's like it's stolen away their joy because it is so overwhelming for them that they can't go on with life. And Jesus had a place where he would come to the Father and pour his heart out, literally drops of blood to the Father in order for God to know and hear how much he was concerned about the present situation. And then the Bible says the angels came and ministered to him. God came and visited him and brought rest into his weariness. And as we carry these burdens in our life, as we rest upon the promises of God, that he will never leave us or forsake us, that we can cast these cares upon him because he cares for us. He will always be there for us to help us when it feels like it's too much. When it feels like it's too much. So he was the most eloquent of preachers. His words would come and say to us things that no other person could say. God's promises are preeminent and over and above and cancel out any doubts or current situations that we have and whatever we need of him, he has promised to provide. <coughs> Thirdly, this morning we also see in this message that Spurgeon delivered the grace from Jesus that made him the wooer and winner of souls. I'm so grateful for this thought this morning because there is, I think, in the heart of every pastor the desire that something that he would say would ring through with the heart of another in order that someone might make a decision for Jesus. I think that's a dream of everyone who goes into ministry and should be the dream of every person who gives their life to Christ, that they would be used by God to lead someone else into that place of knowing Jesus. But I had a really great example of and have a great reminder of how God does the mysterious and how he really is the one who preaches like no other. I think I've shared this here before, but on the morning that I was saved after the choir did their cantata, the pastor came up and, and he recited a poem. And it was like nothing else that I've ever heard. And, and it was like the Lord just cut my heart in half and broke it open and poured himself in there and I was his. And after the, after the service is over, they, had, they didn't have a breakfast before the service like we do. They had a brunch after the message. And so everyone in the kitchen later, and he was in there uh, washing his hands before he was getting ready to help serve the people there. And um, I said, Pastor, I've been going there maybe two months, so I didn't really know him that well. I said, I'd really like the words of that poem because that just changed my life. And he was like, well... I appreciate that. He was like, but God just gave that to me. I don't, I don't have it written down anywhere. It was just a gift that he gave to me. And I will never, um, it wasn't recorded, so I don't have those words. I'm just reminded that when, when Jesus wants us, there's nothing we can do to stop him. And he, he'd been working on me for a while. 
that I think God had plans for my heart that morning that nothing and no one was going to stop. And in that moment, God gave the pastor those words that my heart needed, and I have been his ever since that moment. I'm going to read words of Spurgeon on this idea because they are so deep and so true. He talks about Jesus being our, our advocate. And he says, How sweetly does he plead the cause of believers? Have you never watched the heart when Christ begins to woo it? When he opens the ear and the heart and says, Poor soul, I love you. And because I love you, I will tell you what you are. You are cast out into the open field. You're lying in your own blood, dead in your trespasses and sins, yet I love you. Will you not love me? Nay, says the heart, I will not. But Jesus says, my love is as deep as hell and insatiable as the grave. I will be yours and you will be mine. Have you noted how soon the stubborn soul begins to yield and the hard rock begins to flow like tears of old until the heart at length says, oh Jesus, I love you. I love you because you first loved me. Why is it that some here have not given their hearts to Jesus? Perhaps it's because Jesus has not revealed himself to them in person, but when he does, they cannot deny him. I challenge any man or woman to hold his heart back when Jesus Christ comes for it, like he did for me that Easter morning. When Jesus displays himself, when he takes the veil off of our eyes and lets us look at his lovely face, shows us his wounded hands and his bleeding side. I don't think there's a heart, but that would be drawn forth to him. Christian, do you remember the hour when he pleaded with you when that moment Christ spoke his saving words into your life? He knocked at the door of your heart, and at first you would not let him in. But his beloved kept his hand on the latch of the door. And over time, your affections were moved for him. How sweetly did he tell you of your sinnership? And with the next words, make known your own redemption. That in sins you were dead, but with him you are alive. Told you that in your own strength you were powerless. With the next word, he would make you strong. Reminded you of your unbelief. And with the next sentence, gave you faith. Oh, is he not filled with grace as he wins the hearts and affections of his people? And this morning, it is my hope and prayer for you that there has been a time in your life when Jesus has won over your soul. When he spoke to you in the hardness of your own heart through the hours or the days or the weeks or the months and the years, calling to you, wooing you, working with you, it may have been through just a reminder to read the Word. It may have been something you heard on the radio. I don't talk to too many people that heard it on it by a television preacher, but God could even use that. Where was it the last time you heard the Lord speak to your heart? You see, the danger is for us to count on that experience I had Easter Sunday morning so many years ago is kind of the final say that God has had in my life and the fact of the matter is there's been a lot of other times the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. Correction, guidance, encouragement, challenge, reminders of his promises, reminders of his goodness, and over and over again, God continues to woo my heart to him. 
You ever get a time when you just seem like your life is busier than it's ever been? I thought that when I, when I came to First Friends Church, I went from being a bivocational pastor all of, the, all of the last years of ministry until now I became a full-time pastor for the first time. And I thought that I would have hours in my mind to study and to read and to pray. And I want to tell you, I'm busier than I've ever been. And there are times in our life when the Holy Spirit comes to us as he woods us and he wins us and he, he just says, he calls us by name. He said, Sometimes he calls me Pete. Sometimes when he says Favel, I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> Reminds me of my mom, apparently, I don't know. However he speaks to us, there's just something about his voice that, is, that just calls us back to him. There's something about that name. There's something about his voice that supersedes any other noise that's going on in our life. And he calls us back to a place, reminder of who he is. Lastly, this morning, four out of the 10 or 12 points that Spurgeon shared that day was this idea of him being a counselor for his people. A counselor for his people. This is, this is kind of the idea of, of, of being an attorney on our behalf. Now, the Bible says that he was a comforter, and that was one of the points that, that Spurgeon shared is that Jesus came alongside to be the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one who would be there for us for thick and thin so that when we need to come to him with all of our cares and our concerns, we can cast ourselves upon him and he will care for us. But in this moment, this is kind of, this is kind of like judgment day type thinking. This is where when we live our life and we're called to get account for what we have done, this is what Spurgeon said about those moments. Jesus' words speaking now in the courtroom speaking of us as his clients. He would say, my client, you and I, pleads guilty to every charge. But I have a full pardon signed by God's own hand, purchased by my own blood. And Jesus in the courtroom strips himself and shows his wounds and says, these people were given to me by my father before the foundation of the world. I bore their sins on my own body on the cross. My father has justified them. I have pardoned them. And mounting to the highest point, he reaches the climax of grace. He exclaims, Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Can you, O God? Have you not justified them? I cannot, for I have died for them. And he sits down in triumph, saying, Whoever he's justified, those he is also glorified. And it is basically reiterating the words on the cross when Jesus said, It is finished. Never have more final words been spoken in human history than those words of Jesus on the cross. For in that moment, as he got ready to breathe his last breath, the price and the penalty for our sins was about to be paid. And there would be nothing that anyone could ever do to stop the grace that would eternally flow from God's heart for any repentant sinner in that moment. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God. No sin, no enemy, no power on earth or in hell can take us away from the love that God has given for us. And he is the one who has come alongside of us to do the work for us that we could never do for ourselves. And you probably heard entire sermons preached on the definition of grace or the acronym God's Riches at Christ's Expense. All kinds of ways we think about grace. Something that is given to us by God that we could never earn, deserve, work for, 
or do anything to get on our own. There's provenient grace, the theologians tell us, where God is working and we don't even realize it's happening. Have you ever been driving down the road and all of a sudden somebody comes out of nowhere and something just tells you to swerve at the last second? Those are the, those are the ones that you saw coming. What about the ones you never saw coming? That God watches over you. What about the times in your life where you've been running from God or ignoring God and he continues to still speak to you? He continues to keep your heart softened to him. He continues to, it's, it's like we walk around with one ear plugged and one ear open. And God is faithful enough, he knows which ear to speak in. I remember the last church we're at, we had an organist up until the organ died. I don't know, seems to be a, a theme with me and churches that, I probably shouldn't share this, but we had, uh, my superintendent came one Sunday in Ohio, and, and he loves to sing hymns. And he saw, we printed out the order of the hymns in the bulletin, and, and um, his favorite hymn was on the list. And uh, he was like, is, is Rebecca going to play the piano, or, or are they going to play the organ for that one? And I don't know, because the organ was about half, half speed, and the piano was full speed, and, and so we sang... Uh, that song with the organ, and he actually excused himself for a few minutes. This really honest guy, and came back after the song was over, and he was like, that was the worst rendition of that hymn. It ruined it for me. So, so we're back in the front of the sanctuary now, singing the next worship song, and he told me this, and he whispers in many ears, like, you know, you can buy, buy rats that, that are bred to chew, and you just stick them in the back of the organ and you shut the door and they do their magic and it never works again. And I didn't do that at Urbana Friends. There are no dead rats in the organ here. There's something about the way that God speaks to us. It drowns out every other sound. And can I tell you on that Sunday morning where the superintendent was just, it was too much for him and I got that, but there was someone in the back during that song that was sobbing. Because the words of that song spoke to them so powerfully. And, you know, God's so good. He knows how to speak to us. Maybe that superintendent needed to go out in the hallway because there was someone that needed prayer. I don't know why he left. I don't know why God gave my pastor that I was saved that Sunday morning words that he had never heard before and had no way of recollecting. All he knows is that when God comes on the scene, something happens and we're never the same. Amen? There's something about this man who preached like no one else could preach. That when we read the word of God, it is sharper, the Bible says, than a two-edged sword, able to pierce just the finest points of life, to speak to us in just the way that we need to hear him speak. And I just encourage you this morning to take time in your life to listen. Sometimes we make ourselves busy because we don't want to hear. Sometimes our hearts are hard. Has your heart ever been hard towards God? You don't want to hear him speak. You want to be happy. You want to have joy. You want to be satisfied and filled. You don't want God to do it. We need to be sensitive to the voice of the master. There are promises in life that no one can take away from you. There is truth in the Bible that no matter how deep the waters get, no matter how hot the fire feels, that is in his strength alone that we will see it through. And in our weakness, God is more real to us than we would have ever known any other. How many people have you met who found the depth of their knowledge of God on the mountaintop? 
I haven't met very many. I've seen some people worship, man, they were on fire during the worship time. Can I tell you, those people whose faith has been forged through the fire of pain, the fire of grief, the, the fire of tragedy, the fire of doubt or fear, have a knowledge of God and an intimacy with him that makes my heart jealous. There's something about when life goes wrong, we find a depth of knowledge of God that we may have found no other way. And I think that many of those times, it is the promises that we lock onto. It's like our radar of our life focuses on this promise that God has given us that nothing is ever the same again. He is someone who woos us and wins us. Certainly hope and pray this morning that you've been won over by the goodness of God, but you know he's not done with you. He's not done with me. There's still work to be done. There's still grace to be applied. There is still so much that Jesus wants to say to you and I. We are not completed. Paul says, I've come a long way, but I am, I am fixing my eye on Christ. I am pressing on towards the mark that God has pointed me to, this idea of following him wherever he would lead us. When was the last time you felt like Jesus was wooing you? Were you too distracted, too busy, or too uninterested to hear his voice? I want to be wooed by Jesus, don't you? I'm not sure there's a more precious thought I could have right now standing before you this morning, or more precious prayer that I could pray. Then the master would do whatever it takes in your life today to woo you closer to him. What happens in a marriage if you stop buying flowers and sending cards and notes and all those things? There's, there's a distance that forms. The romance dies down, the spark dwindles, and things get tough. And the great lover of our souls comes back to us and say, I'm still here, I still love you. I still want to be a part of your life. And at the end of the day, it is not about our, how strong our faith is or how mighty our Christianity has become. It is all about the grace and the goodness of God that passes all understanding. It is all about him that is the reason why we preach. It is all about him for the reason that we sing. It is all about his word that we share in a message like this. It is all about his mission that we go from this place. I don't believe that we, we stop church on Sunday morning at Vancouver First Friends because the pastor quits preaching and it's time to go. If that's all we get out of Sunday morning, if that's all that we go to, then we failed. We're failing in our mission. We're failing in our calling. We're failing in the direction that God is pointing us. There's something about being sent out into the mission that God has called us to. As he woos us, as he speaks to us, as he, as he helps us to lock onto him, who is it in our world that needs to know about this grace that has so changed us? We're going to ask our worship team to come, and they're going to lead us in a closing song in just a minute. This amazing grace that God